Why don't you turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5? And we started a series last week called You Ask For It. And this is where I'm taking topics. There are hundreds and hundreds of topics and questions that you provided. And uh, I built uh, messages around them that I'm sharing to, to really help you as much as I can. And by the way, this is how part of the Bible was written. People would ask Jesus questions and he would answer uh, the Apostle Paul. I mean, he, he wrote books of the Bible answering questions of church people and issues that churches were having. And so it's not really that uncommon, but it really helps us stay connected. So thank you for returning those answers. And last week we kicked off this uh, series with a kind of an interesting message, really, for church, where we talked about uh, divorce and remarriage uh, in in the church with believers. And um, I, I want to first of all say thank you. No one sent any death threats, and so I'm very excited about that. Uh, and this week, I'm going to talk about marriage. In fact, I'm going to talk about God's blueprint for marriage. I got a lot of questions about marriage, a lot of questions about relationships, a lot of questions about sex and sexuality. And so I'm trying to work my way through all of those. And so this week I'm going to talk about marriage. I had a lot of questions about roles for marriage and and God's plan for marriage and what is the perfect marriage. And, and um, I, you know, I'm going to do my best to kind of speak to those. And so I, I called this God's blueprint for marriage and it's in Ephesians chapter five. And so I want us to look at Ephesians chapter five, uh, verse 21, and then we'll read several verses together uh, as we just kind of work through this. But verse 21, it kind of starts in the middle of a sentence, but I think it is very, very important to the context of what um, Paul is actually going to talk about after this. And so verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I just want to pause right there and say, hey, you need to understand some things about the Bible. Sometimes we don't understand the difference between what the Bible talks about and what the Bible affirms. Okay, so let me help you with that. The Bible talks about slavery, but there's no place in the Bible where it is endorsed as God's plan. It's not affirmed. But it was a cultural issue, and so it was talked about. The Bible limits a lot of rights with women, but that was their culture. The Bible doesn't affirm that. We talked about that last week. Jesus constantly expressed a value for women. And so when we start this conversation, a lot of times I've had husbands who very, I think, unwisely have, even though they know no other scripture in the Bible, they know somewhere in the Bible it says, woman, you're supposed to submit to me. And, and what I'd like to say, if you'd like a near-death experience, that's a great way to go about your marriage. I, I don't advise it, um, but the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible tells us how to submit to one another, how to, we could put it this way, how to honor one another. In fact, how to esteem one another or honor someone even above our, ourselves. And so the Bible teaches how, the Bible teaches us how to honor. Well, what is honor? Honor is valuing the God in someone and not stumbling over what you deem is not good about someone. And so that's what the Bible teaches us is out of honor for God or respect to God, how to submit to one another. And so the context of what I'm about to, to actually read is going to talk about marriage, but it's going to tell us how to honor and really submit to or how to prefer your spouse above you, how to honor your spouse above you. And so that's kind of the context. So with that, we'll read on. Uh, verse 22 says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, you need to understand this is not about domination. This is about responsibility. And so if you see this as a, a, as a spouse, as a wife saying, I don't want to be dominated, or if you see it as a husband as, oh, yeah, I get to be, you know, the dominating one or the guy in charge or whatever. It's really not about domination. It's about responsibility. Verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? Verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you see the responsibility? It's not domination, it's responsibility. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Do you see? This is the same definition of marriage that God used in Genesis, Jesus used in Matthew, and now Paul's using it in Ephesians. I just want to say very clearly, God is not at all confused about what marriage is and who's involved in it. I understand America is completely confused because we've moved away from the word of God, right? And so, but God is not confused about marriage. It's the same definition he gives for marriage throughout the entire Bible, if you will. It's always a husband and a wife. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself. Verse 33 to me is the summation and um, such a great way to conclude, kind of summarize all of what he's trying to explain. Verse 33, however, let every man love his wife as himself and let the wife sees that she respects her husband. Now, these are what I would call the roles that God has given us concerning marriage. This is God's blueprint, if you will. A lot of times when we talk about roles, and I'll talk about this at the end, um, it's, we talk about, well, who's going to pay the bills and who's going to mow the grass and who's going to do the laundry, uh, who's going to take the kids to school. And those need to be talked about, but those change with every relationship. You may be in a relationship where the husband is really good at painting and decorating and the wife really loves to get on her John Deere and go brush hogging. It's totally fine if that's what works for you guys. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever, right? Um, and so those roles, you have to find what works for you. But these, the ones that we read in Ephesians 5, are more what God has instituted. And here's what I found. Most people don't like Ephesians 5. In fact, I've only found one scripture that they dislike more, and that's Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. <laughs> But running a close second is Ephesians 5. And here's what I mean by we love, we love what it requires of our spouse. And a lot of times, you know, in, in, a, in a counseling situation, you're going to have a spouse saying, well, he's not loving me. Well, she's not respecting me. And they don't say it that way, but that's kind of what comes out. And the Bible says that she needs to honor me. And the Bible says that he needs to love me. And we love what it requires of our spouse but, but we don't necessarily what it requires of us because it has a way of really working against our flesh. Right? And so I found that, that this is not really a favorite scripture with a lot of people. Um, and we don't like it because we don't like what it really demands of us. And most of the time we use this passage or our couples use this passage as, as a means to try to get what they want but not assume the responsibility God's asked them to. And so I found a lot of times we, we, don't, we don't like it. I've also found most of the time couples are really scared on who's going to go first. A lot of times we get into a standoff. Well, I, I don't feel loved. Well, I don't feel respected. And it kind of becomes one of these things of, you know, we're sitting in the office and, and she's kind of entrenched in, in her ideas and what she is not getting and he is entrenched in his ideas and what he's not getting. And here's the problem is in our nature, in our society, in our culture, unfortunately, we approach everything through the lens of contract negotiation. Right? Even if you went this week and got your car fixed, you tried to see how much you could get, get and how little you could pay. And that is what goes into good contract negotiation, isn't it? If I'm going to negotiate a contract, even for the church, I'm going to try to see how much can I get and how little can we pay? Because that's stewardship, that's, that's wisdom. And the problem is when we approach things as a contract, here's what we're really saying. I want to increase what I get and limit what I have to give. I want to increase right my rights and I want to limit my responsibilities. Or Does this make sense? And so that's the problem when we approach marriage that way. We kill it because marriage isn't a contract negotiation. It's a covenant. And many times someone will say, well, I'll start doing my part when she starts doing her part. How's that working for you? Because I think sometimes it's the maturity we assume to say, well, who's going to move first? 
The mature one's going to move first. And in a covenant, what we do is we give up all of our rights and we assume full responsibility. We say, hey, I'm going to be responsible for this relationship. I'm going to be responsible for this marriage. I'm going to be responsible not for my spouse. I'm going to be responsible to my spouse. And I'm going to do my part. And I'm not going to negotiate based on what I'm trying to get. But I'm, I'm going to surrender and submit to one another out of fear of Christ. I'm going to surrender my rights. And I'm going to lean into this relationship and give it my best. Do you, do you see the difference? And so in Ephesians 5, it talks about these roles. And I want to talk about what these roles do, God's blueprint, God's plan. And so there's three things. You could write them down. You knew there was going to be three things, but there's three things. First thing that I see in Ephesians 5 is these roles that are defined for us in marriage make us more attractive to our spouse. These roles actually make us more attractive. And, and the reason is because relationships, good relationships, are connected relationships. In other words, the whole idea of marriage and really sex is to help us bond, is to help us attach to one another. And before the fall, there was only secure attachment where I know we're connected, you know we're connected, it's safe to connect. There's no sin, no brokenness, there's no fear, there's no anxiety, right? We are safe to be us and, and to connect. But after the fall, anxiety and fear and all these things enter in. And now now the question we always have is, it's more of an anxious attachment. Are we going to be connected? Is it safe to connect? Are, am, am I safe to connect with you? Are, are you safe to connect to me? Is, am I valuable enough for you to connect to? Are you pursuing connection with me? Can I pursue connection with you? And so these, these, these roles that we see in Ephesians 5 actually help create a safe place for the husband to connect and for the wife to connect with the husband. And so that's really what he's driving at is, hey, this makes us attractive. In other words, it attracts them to us. Are you with me? I don't know if you know this, but, but women's brains and men's brains and women's language and men's language is not the same. <laughs> Verse 33 said something very clear. It said, husbands love your wives. Wives respect your husbands. It didn't tell the husband to respect his wife. Right? It didn't tell, it didn't tell the wife to love her husband. It gave us a different assignment. Do, do you see what I'm saying? It actually told us to do something that's, that's different. It said, Hey wives, you gotta respect him. Hey husbands, you gotta love her. Why? Because we're not the same. We don't relate the same. We don't think the same. Like if you take a husband's brain and here's a husband's brain. And a husband's very scary thing, a husband's brain. Uh, but if you take a husband's brain, there are all these little boxes. Here's a box for the kids. Here's a box for the wife. Here's a box for the car. Here's a box for the checking account. Here's the box for the retirement plan. Here's the box for the house, right? And they have all these little boxes. And men make sure that these boxes never touch each other. They want them separate. I'm, I'm paying bills, and then I will talk to the wife, and then I will take care of the kid. We want them very, very separate. See, over here in a, in a woman's brain, there's just one box. <laughs> and, and, and everything's in the box. Everything is interconnected, right? And this is why with men, we start the conversation, and it's going here, and we're like, you know, is this, is this about the car or the kid or you forgot chicken? I don't know right now. Right? Because for there, it's a super highway because they typically have more emotion, which is not a bias. It's not a negative thing. It's just the way God has gifted them. And men, it helps us if we get connected to our emotion. In fact, sometimes that's what wives help us do. We, they help connect emotional pathways between our boxes and it freaks us out. You know, like, whoa, I didn't know that, you know. And so, um, and so for them, it's kind of all there. And then here's another thing that a lot of times women struggle with is that in a man's head, in a man's brain, he has all these boxes, but he has this one very special box. And this box is, is the nothing box. <laughs> and this freaks, women's, freaks women out. They have no space in here for nothing. They have no space. Women are always working. They are always parenting. They are always loving. They are always nurturing. They're always fixing something, creating something. They are always doing something, right? But, but then this wife will talk to her husband. Hey, what are you doing? Nothing. And they're like, this doesn't even make sense to me. Like, how can you do nothing? You can't do nothing. You have to do something. And so here's the problem is the husband, when, when all the other boxes he perceives are taken care of, he will get his favorite box. 
of nothing. And he will open it and see that there's nothing in it. And he will enjoy. And then the wife will try to put something in the nothing. Freaks him out. Freaks him out. Don't put something. If you put something in the nothing box, it's not a nothing box. And so that's why, wives, your husband, you can say, hey, what are you thinking about? Nothing. Here's the thing. He's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. Here, here's what different. The, women have all these super highways and, and, and really some amazing capacity. And they can think about all these different things. And they can web things together and make all these connections. Men tend to think about one thing. But when they think about that thing, they drill as deep as they can. And they will put off things that need to be thought about because they're thinking about something else. And for a woman, they're like, I don't know, how do you do that? Like, we got to think about these things. And well, I got to take them in the order they were received, you know. <laughs> but he is drilling down on that one thing. And when he finally solves that problem, when he finally figures that out, you know what he needs? He needs a break. Thus, he has a nothing box. And I know it doesn't make sense, but I can tell you right now, next time you walk in, your husband's sitting in the recliner like this, and you say, hey, honey, what are you doing? And he says, nothing. Just say, okay, that's great. When you're finished, let me know. I'd like to talk to you about something, right? You know? It'll work great. It'll work great. One of the greatest gifts Julie gives me is space to do nothing. And she's okay. Well, I don't know if she understands it or not, but she just kind of knows this is nothing time. He is going to do nothing right now. And it makes me feel so loved. I just can't explain it to you. But anyways, all right. So, but we, 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 our minds work, but we speak different languages. Uh, think about it. Wives respect your husband. Husbands, like, husbands guys have a language of, of respect, of honor. Women have a language of love. And the problem is we try to connect with our spouse or relate to our spouse out of the language that makes sense to us, right? Like, wives, it's nice if you go tell your husband, you are such a beautiful man. But he's going to be sitting here like, am I cross-dressing? What is, I don't understand, right? I don't, you know, because, because guys speak a language of respect. Same way, you know, husbands telling your wives like, hey, what you did, that laundry right there, that's cool. <laughs> that, that's not helpful. That's not helpful to them, right? That, that doesn't, that, that it's, good. it's not bad, but it's not quite hitting the mark because you're not speaking her language. And, and, and most of the time when we want to be heard um, or when we want to communicate with our spouse, we have to try to learn what, what their language is and how to make that connection using their language because we don't speak the same, right? Men speak a language of honor and, and respect because for them, respect and honor is a mega need just like for the wife, love or security is a mega need. So we have different needs, different languages and different thought processes. And really the goal is trying to understand how each other does things. But listen to me, respect, listen to me, wives, I want you to understand this. Respect is so powerful in the life of a man that he will change his behavior for whoever gives him respect. This is how most of your teenage boys end up in the ER. Because a group of friends said, dude, it'd be so cool if you like jumped off the house and tried to hit the trampoline and then go into the swimming pool. Like you'd be the man. Oh, I'll be the man. I'm going to be the man. I'll jump off a house. This is, Right? It's, it's the way that we're designed. In fact, Peter even talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. It says, likewise, uh, wives be subject to, that just means submissive, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without word, without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do, do you see that? What they're saying is, and, and, and by the way, if you have a spouse that is not serving the Lord and you want them to serve the Lord, what it's saying is there's a way you go about that. And, and Peter said, without a word, without a word. In other words, it's, it's actually wives you want to win over your husband. You're always going to win him over through honor and respect. You're going to honor 
and, and respect him. And that's what he says here. And he says, do not let, and then he goes on, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. No, it's a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, I don't, I don't make Julie call me Lord at home. Uh, we, we go with high potentate, but, um, but it says, and you are her children. In other words, you're Sarah's children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I want you to understand, um, first of all, in marriage, I want you to understand that the husband and wife are equal. You're equal, but there's a way we approach a relationship. And so when it says gentle and quiet, that doesn't mean that you don't have a place to speak. It doesn't mean that you, your opinions don't matter. It doesn't mean that you can't be heard. When it says gentle and quiet, that's just the opposite of angry and loud. Right? Um, because in a marriage, both people should be able to communicate, but the key to communicating is understanding the language the other one speaks. Like, for instance, when Julie comes to me and says... Um, Hey, honey, I, you know, you're such a great dad and such a great husband. You're such a great person, and I love you, I admire you, and all. But, but here's something I need you to look at. Then all of a sudden, as a husband, I'm like, oh, oh, oh I'm going to take care of this. <laughs> right? And, and likewise, when, if I go to Julia and say, hey, I love you, if I had to choose over today, I would choose you, um, but I need you to take a look at this. Every time she's been like, well, I'll take a look at that. But, but in the times when we didn't handle things that way, the, the others don't feel hurt. A lot of times they, they feel like, well, am I under attack right now? I don't know what's going on because we're not speaking the right language to each other. And so what Peter is saying is saying, hey, you can, you can change the behavior of your husband simply through honor and respect. You can actually change how he behaves through honor and respect. And so when it's saying gentle and quiet, it's not saying you can't talk to him. It's saying watch how you talk to him. And then at the bottom line in a marriage, we need to decide right now that the Holy Spirit is the enforcer of what we talk about. It's not that you can't say, but at the end, who's going to enforce? Because if either spouse tries to continue to enforce what they said, it usually is not going to work. And so that's when he's saying being quiet and gentle, what he's saying is, hey, be quiet and gentle in your approach. In other words, be meek. Be loving in your approach. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is great strength. So what he's saying is, go to your husband, be, be gentle and be quiet. Let him know what you think. And then go be violent in prayer till the Holy Spirit changes him. Right? But, but we need to understand the difference in the way that we communicate. What he's saying is without a word. You, in other words, honor and respect will attract the heart of your husband to him. The same way husbands love and sacrifice will attract the heart of our, our wife to us. Um, 1 John 4.10, it says, This is real love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, when we talk about security, what is security? It's sacrificial love. It's love that is sacrificial. It's love that costs something. See, um, when we're talking about God's love in, in the, the Greek, it's agape. Agape love is simply a sacrificial, it's choosing to sacrifice. It's a love that will choose sacrifice. It's not emotional, emotion up, emotion down, emotion can change, right? People, well, we fell in love, well, we fell out of love. No. No, that's, you were living by emotion. That's not the way we want to live. Emotion's good. It has its place. But there are times we don't feel in love. There are times birds aren't chirping. There are times that, you know, Disney princesses don't come by to sing us a song. And in those times, we make a choice. And, and women feel secure when, when, her, when the husband makes a choice to make sacrifices for his wife. I, in fact, I can tell you one of, the, one of the things that makes me the most attractive to Julie, and it will shock you. It's not going to be my good looks. It's not going to be how good I smell. It's not going to be my stylish socks. One of the things that attracts, makes me very attractive to Julie is when I sweep the floor. Now, every husband in here is like, What? Because you put on, you know, your basketball shorts, took your shirt off, you walk around the house because you've been doing Tybo or something and uh, P90X, whatever it is people do nowadays. But anyways, you've been, and, and you thought, well, I'm walking around and make it, so you'll see all this. 
And she's going to want that. No, 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 no. Pick up a broom. Pick up a broom. In fact, there was a study done in uh, University of Washington did a study. Um, and they, they asked women, what makes your husband so attractive to you? What's, what's, what's something that makes your husband so attractive to you? And the overwhelming response was when he does housework. Why? Because they all know he hates it. That, you know, he, he, he worked his job, maybe she worked her job, and, and he came home and he swept the floor. And, and it wasn't something they wanted to do, but it was sacrificial. It cost him, and it was loving towards her, and felt her, made her feel safe. Like, oh, he loves me. He's, he sees that, that I'm, I'm busy too, and I'm tired too, and these floors still need to be swept. And he picked up a broom, and he swept the floors. Now, wives, I'm going to tell you right now, um, I, let me help you with part of this, because Julie had to help me. Uh, men don't think about floors. And so you may have to drop a few hints. Like, honey, the floors are dirty and I need help. You know, something really nice like, hey, honey, could you be a hunk of hunk of burning love and, and get the broom and, and, and do the floors? So he, he probably hasn't even seen those things, but you can drop some hints. But, but, but all these women said, hey, when my husband does housework, it's... it's it's attractive. In fact, what they, they did in this study is they took the perspiration of men and applied it just above the lip to women, right under their nose. Now, they didn't tell them it was men's sweat when they did this. They told them it's a household product. In fact, when the women found out what it really was, several researchers died, but we are so grateful for their sacrifice. But they put this perspiration right above the lip. And, and when women were under the... And then they hooked up electrodes on the women just to measure, measure the physiological effects of this. And when, when women were under the, the influence, if you will, or the effect of male perspiration, uh, what they noted was they relaxed, they felt happy, and they felt romantic. They felt relaxed, happy, and romantic. So let's review. When, when, when women were under the effect of male perspiration, they, they relaxed, they felt happy, and they felt romantic. Man, let me, let me help you. You are one clean house away from the night of your dreams. Let me help you with it. By the way, I expect extra in the offering plate, man, just for that. But what I'm saying, when you get home, pick up a broom, turn the heat up in your house, pick up a broom, go by your wife, she'll, and you just keep swinging, keep, keep cleaning, keep sweeping. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that really when we do things God's way, when we do things God's way, we feel safe and we can connect. And, and we actually, it's our husbands, when we sacrifice and love our wives, we attract them to us. Wives, when you honor and show honor and respect to your husband, you attract his heart to you. It's interesting when we do it God's way. Like the, if you think about it, culture is very opposed to everything I'm teaching today. Women's live say, no, you don't submit to your husband. Here's the thing. God created a divine order for the home. And this is what you need to understand about marriage. God created it. Sex, God created it. And when you do anything differently than the way the creator tells you to do it, it will not work. You can do sex any way you want to, but there's only one place that it, that it works. It's sacred. It's blessed. It's holy. God's not a fuddy-duddy. He, he invented sex, and he saw that it was good. Amen. <laughs> And so, and so you just, you need to understand when we do it God's way, and that's what, what God's trying to tell us here. Man, when we sacrificially love our wives, wives when we honor, when you honor and respect your husbands, it's, it's an attraction. Here's the second thing. So these roles make us more attractive. Here's the second thing. These roles empower our spouses. I think a Christian marriage is supposed to be a win-win. I think the husband is supposed to reach his potential. I think the wife is supposed to reach her potential. And part of a Christian marriage is we do better together. Now, I, I know there are some people that choose not to be married or don't feel like that is something God's call on their life, or they feel like God's call on their life is to be single. And I want to say this up front. I don't think that's a subculture. I think that's a superculture. I think it's a calling of God, and, and I'm all for that. But for those of us who are going to be married, marriage, uh, marriage we are better together. In fact, we Research shows that 40, a 40-year-old married man has a 90% chance of reaching age 65. A 48-year-old single man has a 60% chance of reaching age 65. I mean, we're just better with a spouse. We're better 
together. And for every husband, we understand why that is that way, because wives don't let you eat stuff. And they make you take vitamins. And you know what I'm saying? They're trying to help you be healthy because they, they know they're going to have to take care of you if you're not. So no, I'm just kidding. But, but they're trying to help you. In fact, there's this joke. There's this man and his wife. They lived to be uh, just over 100 years old. And they finally passed away. Same day. And they're walking into heaven. St. Peter's giving them a tour. He said, here's your mansion. They go in this mansion. And, and here's all these rich and wonderful foods. I mean, there's bacon with more bacon. you know, And there's chocolate cake. And there's just all these amazing foods. And, and, and Peter said, you can eat as much as you want. There's no cholesterol. There's no fat. None of that happens here. No calories matter. We're in heaven. So just enjoy the buffet. It's always open eat as much as you want. Just beyond the buffet is a golf course. Play all that you want. The man looks over at his wife and punches her right in the mouth. And she said, what was that for? He said, I could have been here 20 years ago if you'd kept those vitamins away from me and stopped making me eat. St- you know. <clears throat> it's a, a joke. But anyways, we're better <laughs> together. And, um, and, and so we, we actually, in, in Christian marriage, we actually kind of we, we help our spouse uh, reach their potential. Uh, Ephesians 5.29 talks to the husbands, and it says, uh, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Those are actually agricultural terms. And what that nourish actually means to, to bring to maturity, and cherish means to, to guard or watch over. And so what, what Paul is telling us, or the Bible is telling us for men, that this is how we help our wives. It's the same way, love, sacrifice, but now we're, we're, we're watching over and we're protecting, we're keeping them safe, hopefully, and in that environment, husbands help their wives reach their potential. A wife becomes who God created her to be in, in this place of being nourished and cherished, to be taken care of, um, to be guarded over, watched over. A husband a husband becomes and he reaches his potential in an atmosphere of respect and honor. In fact, Proverbs uh, 31, it's speaking to women. Proverbs 31, uh, verse 23, the context is all about women. But it says her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So it's talking about her husband being known outside the home, but in the city. Her husband is known as, as an honorable man in the city. But the interesting thing is it doesn't attribute his status to him. It attributes his status to her. Her behavior, her honor, her respect created an honorable man, if you will. It it, it helped a man reach his potential. Men rise to the level of respect that they're shown. Women grow to to the level of love and sacrifice and care that they're given. In in a marriage, it's supposed to be a win-win where the wife says, hey, I'm going to honor him and I'm going to respect him. The Bible says that Sarah called Abraham Lord. And I know many of you are thinking, well, if I was married to Father Abraham, the father of our faith, I would call him Lord too. But don't forget, Abraham lied twice about Sarah and was willing to let her be taken by a king who was going to sleep with her. I can tell you that wouldn't go well at the straight house. Right? But, but here's the thing. It says that, that Sarah still honored her husband and Abraham was a great man. I think he was a great man because Sarah knew how to honor him even when he was fearful, even when he chose to be a coward, even when he was scared. She showed him honor even in the face of all the negative realities about him. And so in this way, husbands rise to the level of respect. Women, women rise to the level of, of being nourished and cherished and cared for. If you think about it, a, a, a good husband is like a greenhouse. They provide a safe and warm place for, for their wives to grow, right? A good wife is kind of like a cheerleader. Right. I don't know a lot about women's sports, but I, I played, you know, male sports and we always had cheerleaders, you know, and you know what I noticed about cheerleaders? They're always positive no matter what's going on. Right. You can be losing 80 to zero and they're over there like, take that ball on down the floor two, two, two points more, take it down, take it down, you know, and they're just. They're just like being positive and they are cheering you on, right? You haven't stopped them all night. The other team's scoring it at will and they're like, defense, defense. You got it this time. This one's going to work. You know, they're not out there like, oh my God, what are you doing? My grandma could have made that shot. Is anybody going to play defense? That's not what they do. They're positive and they're affirming. And, and so a good husband is... It's like a greenhouse and a good wife is, 
it's like a, a cheerleader because women grow and flourish in that atmosphere of love and sacrifice. Men, men reach their potential in that atmosphere of honor and respect. You know, 1 Corinthians, when it's talking about love, it says love believes all things. And, and I, I know one of the things that you struggle with in marriage is that, that text, by the way, believes all things, actually means believes the best. Love always assumes the best. It believes the best. And I know one thing that, that, that kind of attacks marriages is what they call demon dialogues. And demon dialogue is many times where Satan helps you think the wrong way about your spouse. Because it's kind of our fallen nature to assign motives to things that hurt us, to behaviors we don't like, to things we don't understand. And we're not careful. We won't assume the best. We kind of assume the worst. Right? That, I just described half of Facebook for you. Well, that was quiet. Anyway, so, but, uh, but, but, you know, and so here's where marriage is. Marriage is a place where we believe the best about each other and we encourage one another. You know, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the, to the devil. In other words, when, when I hold anger, when I hold anger towards a spouse, I'm usually going to get marriage counseling from a demon. And I may have some thoughts, but he's going to help me fill in the blanks. And by the next morning, I will have decided that, you know, I'm married to Satan's, you know, ex-wife or that, you know, for a wife, she's married to Lucifer himself, you know, and, and, and so we have to guard ourselves in not assigning motives to what people do, but just loving and assuming the best and communicating. Does, does that make sense? And so, um, Marriage is supposed to be a place where we help each other reach our potential and we assume the best. The redemptive power of your spouse's potential. For the wife, the redemptive power of your spouse's potential is in, is in honor and respect. For the husband, the redemptive power of your wife's potential is in love and sacrifice. When we love and sacrifice, we help them reach their potential. When we honor and respect, we help them reach their potential. These are the roles that God has given us to help us help each other reach their potential. And so these roles make us attractive. They help us reach our potential. And, and then here's the last thing. The roles in Ephesians 5 confront our brokenness. The roles in Ephesians 5 confront our brokenness. See, we're, we're all broken, if you will. We're all broken by the fall, husbands and wives. But, but the reason the roles in Ephesians 5 are different for husbands and wives is because we were broken in different ways. Think about what happened in, in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are, are in the garden. They're naked. They're walking their pet cheetahs. They've been eating fruit salad. It's a great day. <laughs> right? And they're walking in the garden, and Satan, you know, pss, pss, and, and gets Eve just to turn a little bit away from Adam and starts having a conversation. Satan always divides and conquers. That's how, and, and you need to understand, if you're married, if you're married Satan hates your marriage. Because a Christian marriage, especially a Christian marriage, is the closest representation to the Trinity on the earth. It's a, a Christ-like man, a, a Holy Spirit-like woman, and God the Father. It's the closest thing to a tr the, the Trinity that's on the earth, and he hates it. And so he always divides so he can conquer, right? And so he, he gets Eve turned this way, and he starts saying, you know, here's the deal. God, God's not being up front. He's, he's keeping some things from you, and this, this fruit's going to make you wise. It's going to make you more like God. And he is actually deceiving Eve. But how, how, how was she broken? Well, how did she fall? Well, Eve made a decision about the direction and the spiritual uh, covering and the spirituality. And she made a decision for her family and didn't consult her husband, didn't consult God. She, she made a decision about what, which direction the family was going to go. It was a huge spiritual Decision with all types of ramifications. And she took the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave it to Adam. And he ate it. Well, what was that? That's her brokenness. Why? What, what was Adam's sin, if you will? Where, where was Adam at? That's a good question. See, Satan has turned Eve this way. And he's like, you know, you need to eat this fruit, etc. And all Adam would have needed to do is turn off ESPN, the Eden Sports Network, get out of his recliner and say, hey, stand back, honey. I'm going to kill this snake. <laughs> See, for, for the woman, the brokenness came out of her dominance. She asserted herself to a role without consulting Adam 
or God. In other words, what she should have done, obviously, Satan's talking to her. She should have said, I hear you. You're saying this tree is going to be good for us, going to make us wise, all this. But I'm married to Adam, so God's going to be here in a few minutes. I'm going to talk to Adam. What you've said here is really good, but I'm not going to buy a $1,500 vacuum cleaner today. I'm going to talk to my husband when he gets home, and we're going to pray about it. Do you see what I'm saying? I said, I said that last night, and I heard a man go, she did that! Anyways, um, <laughs> it was awesome. So anyways, um, but in other words, hey, I'm, I'm not going to take you up on this just yet. I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to talk to my husband. Then we're going to talk to God, and I'll get back to you on that. Had she done that, things would have been fine. Same way, so, so that was dominant. She, she assumed a role in leadership that she had not been given. In the garden, Adam and Eve were perfectly equal. God had not even established an order of the home. Why? Because they were perfect, so a unity did not have to be contended for because they existed in mutual submission. After the fall, because of the brokenness and because Eve had taken that dominant place, that's when God said, now, Eve, your desire is going to be for your husband, but he's actually going to rule over you. In other words, he's going to be responsible for you, uh, and, and he's going to be the head, because that's where the brokenness was. You understand? For Adam, where was the brokenness? Apathy, passi- passivity, right? Because Adam allowed Eve to have a spiritual conversation about the direction of their life and their family and their home, and he didn't get involved in it. Right? He, he just sat over here not paying attention to what was going on. And so that's why in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 gives the wives an extra layer of accountability. You're going to be under your husband. But it gives the husbands an extra layer of responsibility. You're going to care for your wife. You're going to nurse. You're going to cherish. You're going to take care of her. You're going to lay your life down for her. Why? Because that's how we were broken. And if you think about it, most of the time when we're in a marital conflict, those are the issues that start rising up, right? Women all the time. Well, he's not leading our home. He's not doing this. He's he's not the spiritual head, right? And you immediately see the two things. Number one, you're not his boss. Number two, you need to get up and lead, right? You've become the enforcer of God's will for your marriage, and you're still sitting over here watching ESPN. It's the same thing we're dealing with. And so we have to get the wives to say, okay, let's get back in in your box. Let's stay right here where you're supposed to be. Now, sir, we got to get you up, and you got to get to leading the home. You can't be apathetic, and you can't be dominant. we got to work against our brokenness. And so Ephesians 5 comes to these broken roles and the brokenness in our lives and says, hey, to the wives, you're going to get an extra layer of accountability, but to the husbands, you're going to get an extra layer of responsibility. Are you with me? And so that's these roles in Ephesians 5. They make us attractive. They help, uh, they help us or help our spouses reach our potential and they confront the brokenness in our lives. I want to take just a minute and answer uh, just a, a few questions that I got um, that I couldn't kind of work in. But number one, it says, how do, you, how do you determine roles in marriage? Well, I think there's God-ordained roles like we've talked about. And then I think there's other roles. And I think you need to communicate and talk about those. And you need to find what's best for you. And don't compare your marriage with what somebody posted on Facebook. You find out what works in your home with your spouse through, through respectful and loving conversation. And if you need some help, you know, go to a counselor and say, hey, we're just, we're, we keep running into this issue. And, you know, I say that we need to do this. And, you know, it's kind of like the husband went into the counselor and said, you know, the Bible says her body belongs to me and I demand sex and I want sex. Okay. How's that working for you? You know, it's not, not really, we got a loving, sacrificial communication, respectful, honoring communication. And sometimes we just need some outside help to help us get through a rough patch so we can really find what actually works because husband and wives need to complement each other. And sometimes unity and complimenting each other takes some conversation and working some things out. Uh, here's the next question. What do you do if you and your spouse are not on the same page? I'm assuming this was written by a woman, and I'll tell you, your husband doesn't know he's not on the same page with you. That's usually the way that works. And, and I'm not trying to be funny. Just usually if you get a question like this, it was a female. My husband and I are not on the same page. And if I went and talked to him, he'd be like, what do you mean we're not on the same page? I thought everything was great. So probably the first thing you need to do there again is approach him in honor. Go to him and say, honey, you're a hunk. And if you're lying about the hunk part, Jesus will forgive you. But honey, you're a hunk. <laughs> 
I love you. You're a great man. You're a great husband, great leader. But I'm just feeling like we're not on the same page. You know, if, by the way, if it's the other way, go to your wife. Hey, I love you. I'd still choose you today. You are the one for me. But, you know, I don't feel like we're on the same page. And if you're just really stuck, the reason you're stuck is probably the communication has not gone well. And you may be trying to negotiate a contract. And now everybody's entrenched in their rights. And so that's usually where you either need, everybody needs to surrender and sometimes you need to go to a counselor. So that's what I would say. And then next question, what do you do if you are unequally yoked? Well, first of all, let me speak to all the single people. Um, Faith should be the first thing discussed before we decide we're going to get into a relationship. Just trust me. I was a single adult pastor. I've been a single guy. Um, I've been a pastor and I can tell you missionary dating never worked and missionary marriages never work. They just don't work. And what you need to understand is that if, if you have a commitment to Jesus Christ and faith is important to you, you need to make sure someone shares that commitment and that value and faith is important thing. And you need to have these conversations about where are we going to go to church? Are we going to go to church? How are we going to, how are we going to navigate church life and faith life in the context of our marriage? Um, and those are conversations that need to be had before we feel like we fall in love with each other. Okay. Now, if you're in a marriage and maybe one of you came to Christ and the other one has not come to Christ yet, and what do you do about that? Here's what I'd say. Be gentle and quiet in word and be powerful and aggressive and violent in prayer. Be honoring, gentle and quiet, and then go in your war room and do war. Don't fight with your spouse, fight for them. And give them the freedom. If they're not a believer in Jesus Christ, give them the freedom not to choose him. God does. Right? Don't be the enforcer. Say, hey, in the morning I'm going to church. I'd love for you to go to church with me. If they say no, say, great. I'll see you when I get home. One of the questions I've been asked several times from a wife is, hey, I, I, I have faith in God and, and my husband's either not a believer or kind of a believer. In other words, he's exploring God. That's the way I put that. He's not fully surrendered, but he's exploring God. And they'll come and say, but I want to tithe because I want the blessing of God on our home. But my husband said, no, what do I do? I said, you honor your husband. Because if you fight with him over money, you're probably going to push him away from church. You honor your husband. God sees your heart. The church is not going to go under. <laughs> you know, we're all going to be Okay. And, and I said, you know, have some conversations. Explain why it's important to you. Be heard, but let the Holy Spirit do the work. One thing you can say is, well, can I tithe on my income? If the females worry, if the spouses work, can I tithe on my income? But here's the thing. In the end of the day, if he says no, you honor your husband. Win him over without a word, right? Same thing. Husbands, I've seen single, or not single guys, married guys come to church by themselves. The spouse doesn't want to come. And what I say, same thing, love and respect. Honey, I'm going to church in the morning. Would love for you to go. No, I don't want to go. Okay, well, I'll be home at this time. I hope you have a great morning. Don't fight with them. Fight for them. Amen? And then the last one, does a wife need to surrender her calling to be married? I don't believe so. I, I don't believe so. I understand as husbands, sometimes we're not as supportive because we're conquerors. We're conquest people. We're out there thinking about where we're going. But I think, uh, I, I think the Christian marriage is a win-win. I think the husband should reach his potential. I think the wife should reach his potential. And I think we spur one another on towards that potential the best that we know how. And so hopefully that answers that question. Here's the thing, guys. I believe God has a plan for every marriage to succeed. But marriage doesn't come easy. Most of the time you spell marriage W-O-R-K. You have to be willing to put into it so you can receive out of it. A lot of times it's like a garden. You know, you work in the garden to get the vegetables out. Well, work in your marriage. Pray for your spouse. You know, pray together when you can. Pray with your kids. Pray with your family. At the same time, pray for them every day. I can tell you if I don't pray for anything else every day, I'm going to pray for Julie and the kids. Every day, even if I don't pray for you, no offense, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for Julie and the kids um, because it's it's a priority, and that's you got to put into it. You got to nourish. You got to cherish. You got to honor. You got to respect. And if you do that, you can win. But let me say something before I end, and that is today. I know that not all marriages are easy, and marriages are hard. And I know that sometimes we have marriages in crisis. And I want to say something. If today your marriage is in crisis, then you need to get help. Because one of the biggest things that I've found as a pastor is usually by the time they get to my office, someone's already left, someone's wanting a divorce, 
And it's really hard. And, and many times I think, man, if you would have come three years ago, this would have been a lot easier. But now we're so wounded, we're so hurt, both people, and we're so entrenched in what we want and our righteousness and our pain that it's going to be hard to negotiate a surrender and marriages work when we submit to one another. That's surrender, right? And so what I want to say is there is no shame in getting help if you're struggling. doesn't matter what it is. There's no shame. Contact a pastor. Contact a counselor. If you need help finding a counselor, we can help you find a counselor. But we will help you because if you're struggling, you need to get help. In fact, uh, I don't do weddings in, in really anymore because of the service schedule on the weekend. There wouldn't be a place for me to. But, um, uh, but, but when I used to do weddings, I didn't do premarital counseling because you don't want that. And so <laughs> just trust me. And so anyways, but what I would do is I would meet with the, the couple and talk to them. And then I'd get them to a marriage counselor who's skilled and gifted in counseling. And when I met with them again, I said, the reason I wanted you to go through, I wouldn't do the ceremony if they didn't go through uh, premarital counseling. So I held them hostage if they wanted me to do it. And the reason was twofold. Number one is you need to go to a counselor that's going to talk about the differences you have because you're all in love today and you think everything's going to be great. Then you get married and time marches on and all these differences start showing up and you got to deal with those. Um, Just like when we got married, one of the things we found was uh, I'm an extrovert introvert, and so I like being in public with large groups of people. You can put me in front of 10,000 people and say, speak. I will not get nervous. I will have plenty of energy. I can go out and talk to everybody, and then I need to go home, and I need everything to be quiet and still, and I kind of have to almost go in a cave, and that's how I regenerate, right? Because I'm kind of an extroverted introvert. And so Julie is an extroverted extrovert. <laughs> and Julie, you know, she wants to have, you know, as many children as we can get at our house. Like, could can we run a bus, you know? And, and so we talked about this early on and what we did was we understood, Hey, this is going to be a difference. And I, I don't think that it's really ever affected us that much because she will, she will talk to me and say, Hey, you know, it's Saturday. I was thinking about letting the kids have kids over and all that. Want to check and make sure you're doing okay. And then for me, I realized this is a value. I want our kids at our house. She wants our kids at our, we want to know our kids, friends want to know what's going on. And I realized this is a value. And so for me, I think, well, okay, I can do this. Like this is a value. And so I can give a little at the same time. She's being very honoring and respectful um, to me. And so we've been able to make that work. But, but the way you make it work is you got to find the differences. You got to find. So that's why I send people premarital counseling. I recommend it for anyone that's getting married. But here's the big reason why. That's one of them. Here's, here's the other one is that you get in a rhythm of going to a counselor. And so when you have a problem, it's a natural thing to think, oh, I can go back to the counselor. Right, because a lot of people have never been to a counselor. They don't. They think, well, I, crazy people go to counselors. Well, I have a counselor. Of course, I'm crazy. But, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I tell husbands and wives, get in that place to where either one of you at any time can say, "Hey, we need to go see a counselor," and the other one agrees right now, today, before you're married, while you're all in love and everything's wonderful, that you'll go. And they agree. Because there are times you need to go and you need an outside perspective. You need someone skilled to help you understand what the problems that you're facing really are. Because you can win. Sometimes you just need help. But God is for us and he's for marriage and he gives us the plan of how it works and you can win. Amen? You can win. We can win when we do it God's way and follow his word and his principles and God's given us a beautiful picture and a blueprint that can help us succeed. Does that sound good? Awesome. Come on. Can we give God one big hand and thank Jesus for who he is and for what he's given us?